Section four of the Wit of Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Siobhan McKelpin. The Wit of Women by Kate Sanborn. Chapter four. Samples here and there. Next comes Mrs. Caroline M. Kirkland with her Western sketches many will remember her laughable description of borrowing out west with its two appropriate models lend me your ears from shakespeare and from bacon grant graciously what you cannot refuse safely mother wants your sifter said miss cianthi howard a young lady of six years standing attired in a tattered calico thickened with dirt her unkempt locks straggling from under that hideous substitute for a bonnet so universal in the western country a dirty cotton handkerchief, which is used ad nauseum for all sorts of purposes. Mother wants your sifter, and she says she guesses you can let her have some sugar and tea, cause you got plenty. This excellent reason, cause you've got plenty, is conclusive as to sharing with neighbors. Sieves, smoothing irons, and churns run about as if they had legs. One brass kettle is enough for a whole neighborhood. And I could point to a cradle which has rocked half of the babies in Montessuit. For my own part, I have lent my broom, my thread, my tape, my spoons, my cat, my thimble, my scissors, my shawl, my shoes, and have been asked for my combs and brushes, and my husband for his shaving apparatus and pantaloons. Mrs. Wither, whose Widow Bidot is a familiar name, resembles Mrs. Kirkland in her comic portraitures, which were especially good of their kind and never betrayed any malice. The Bedott papers first appeared in 1846 and became popular at once. They are a good example of what they simply profess to be, an amusing series of comicalities. I shall not quote from them as everyone who enjoys that style of humor knows them by heart. It would be useless as copying, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, or Mary Had a Little Lamb, for a child's collection of verses. There are many authors whom I cannot represent worthily in these brief limits. When, encouraged by the unprecedented popularity of this venture, I prepare an encyclopedia of the wits and humor of American women, I can do justice to such writers as Gail Hamilton and Miss Alcott, whose transcendental wild oats cannot be cut. Rose Terry Cook thinks that her nowhere is the only funny thing that she has ever done. She is greatly mistaken, as I can soon prove nowhere ought to be printed by itself to delight thousands as her deacon's week has already done to search for a few good things in the works of my witty friends is searching not for the time-honored needle in a haymow but for two or three needles of just the right size out of a whole paper of needles the insanity of cain by mrs mary mapes dodge an inimitable satire on the feebleness of our jury system and the absurd pretense of temporary insanity must wait for that encyclopedia and her miss moliny on the chinese question is known and admired by everyone including the prince of wales who is fairly convulsed by its fun when brought out by her favorite elocutionist miss sarah cowell who had the honor of reading before royalty I regretfully admit the Peterkin letters by Lucretia P. Hale and the time-famous William Henry letters by Miss Abby Morton Diaz. The very best bit from Miss Sally McLean would be how Grandma Spicer gets Grandpa ready for Sunday school from the Cape Cod folks. But why not save space for what is not in everybody's mouth and memory? 
this is equally true of mrs cleveland's no sects in heaven which like arabella wilson's sextant goes rounds of all the papers every other year as a fresh delight marietta holly too must be allowed only a brief quotation samantha is a family friend from mexico to alaska mrs meta victoria victor who died recently has written an immense amount of humorous sketches her miss slimmins the boarding-house keeper is a marked character and will be remembered by many i will select a few samples unsatisfactory because there is so much more just as good and then give room for others less familiar miss lucinda's pig by rose terry cook you don't know of any poor person who'd like to have a pig do you said miss lucinda wistfully well the poorer they was the quicker they'd eat em up i guess if they'd have to keep such a razor back oh i don't like to think of his being eaten i wish he could be got rid of some other way don't you think he might like to be killed in his sleep israel i think it's likely it would wake him up he said demurely killin's a killin and a critter can't sleep over it though as twas a stomach ache i guess he'd kick some and if he was asleep he'd screech some too dear me said miss lucinda horrified at the idea i wish it could be sent out to run in the woods are there any good woods near here israel i don't know but what he does leaves to be slaughtered once and starve em and be hunting down in lots besides there ain't nobody as i know of would have like a hog be a rootin round of the turnips and young wheat well what shall i do with him i don't know despairingly exclaimed miss lucinda he was such a dear little thing when you bought him israel do you remember how pink his pretty little nose was just like a rosebud and how bright his eyes were and his cunning legs now he's grown so big and fierce but i can't help liking him either he's a cute critter that's a certain but he does too much rootin to have a pink nose now i expect there's considerable bee on it so i guess it looks as well to have it gray but i don't know more than you do about what to do about it if i could only get rid of him without knowing what became of him exclaimed miss lucinda squeezing her forefinger with great earnestness and looking both puzzled and pained if miss lucinda would permit said a voice behind her she turned round to see monsieur le clerc and his crutches just on the parlour door i shall mise and myself dispose of piggy if it please i can i shall have no sound he shall to go away like a silent snow to trouble you no more never oh sir if you could but i don't see how if mees was to see it would not be to save her pain i shall have him go to the magic to fairyland fairyland probably but miss lucinda did not perceive the equivoque nor yet shall i trouble meester israel i shall have the aid of myself and one good friend that i have and some night when you rise in the morning he shall not be there miss lucinda breathed a deep sigh of relief i am greatly obliged i mean i shall be said she well i'm glad enough to wash my hands on it said israel i shall hanker arter some critter some but he's a getting too big to be handy and it's a comfort about critters you can get rid of em somehow when they're more plague than profit folks gotta be let alone except the lord takes em any general don't see fit from somebody's neighbors a gift horse by rose terry cook well he no need to had done it sary i told him more'n four times he hadn't ought to put a gun towards him with the muzzle on it 
Now he's up and did it once and for all. He won't never have no chance to do it again, Scotty, if you don't hurry up after the doctor, said Sari, wiping her eyes on her dirty calico apron, thereby adding an effective shadow under their redness. Well, I'm a-goin', ain't I? But you know yourself twon't go do it on for an and, though you're veetle considerable, well. So saying, he fell to at the meal she had interrupted. Hot potatoes, cold pork, dried venison, and blueberry pie vanishing down in his throat with an alacrity and dispatch that augured well for the thorough vittling he intended, while Sari went about folding chunks of boiled ham, thick slices of browned bread, solid rounds of soddy biscuit, and slab-sided turnovers in the newspaper, filling a flat bottle with whiskey, and now and then casting a look at the low bed where young Harry McAllister lay, very much whiter than the sheets about him, and quite as unconscious of surroundings, the blood oozing slowly through such bandages as Scott Peck's rude surgery had twisted about a gunshot wound in his thigh, and brought to close tension by a stick thrust through the folds, turned as tight as could be borne, and strapped into place by a bit of coarse twine. It was a long journey paddling up the Racket River, across Creek and Cary, with the boat on his back to the lakes and then from martin's to harriston where he knew a surgeon of repute from a great city was spending his vacation it was touch and go with harry before scott and dr drake got back sari had dosed him with venison broth hot and greasy weak whiskey and water and a little milk only a little for their cow was old and pastured chiefly on leaves and twigs and she only came back to the shanty when she liked or needed to come, so their milk supply was uncertain, and Sari dare not leave her patient long enough to row to the end of Tupper's Lake, where the nearest cow was kept. But youth has a power of recovery that defies circumstance, and Dr. Drake was very skillful. Long weeks went by, and the green woods of July had brightened and faded into October's dim splendor before Harry McAllister could be carried up the river and over to Bartlett's, where his mother had been called to meet him. She was a widow, and he her only child, and, though she was rather silly and altogether unpractical, she had a tender, generous heart, and was ready to do anything possible for Scott and Sarah Peck to show her gratitude for their kindness to her boy she did not consult harry at all he had lost much blood from his accident and recovered strength slowly she kept everything like thought or trouble out of his way as far as she could and when the family physician found her heart was set on taking him to florida for the winter because he looked pale and her grandmother's aunt had died of consumption dr pete like a wise man rubbed his hand together bowed and assured her it would be the very thing but something must be done for the packs before she went away. It occurred to her how difficult it must be for them to row everywhere in a small boat. A horse would be much better. Even if the roads were not good, they could ride Sarah behind Scott. And so useful in farming, too. Her mind was made up at once. She dispatched a check for $300 to Pete Haas, her old coachman, who had bought a farm in Vermont with his savings and retired with the cook for his wife into the private life of a farmer. Mrs. McAllister had much faith in Peter's knowledge of horses and his honesty. She wrote him to buy a strong, steady animal and convey it to Scott Peck, 
either sending him word to come up to bartlett's after it or taking it down to the river but at any rate to make sure he had it if the check would not pay all the expenses he was to draw on her for more peter took the opportunity to get rid of a horse he had no use for in winter a beast restive as a racer when not in daily use but strong enough for any work and steady enough if he had work two hundred and fifty dollars was the price now set on his head though peter had bought him for seventy-five and thought him dear at that the remaining fifty was ample for expenses but peter was a prudent german and liked a margin there was no difficulty in getting the horse as far as martin's and by dint of patient insistence peter contrived to have him conveyed to bartlett's but here he rested and sent a message down to scott peck while he himself returned to bridget at the farm slowly cursing the country and the people as he went his way for delays and troubles had been numerous gosh said scott peck when he stepped up to the log-house that served for the guides unknowing what awaited him for the messenger had not found him at home but left word he was to come to bartlett's for something and the first thing he saw was this gray horse what fool fetched this hoss up here the guides gathered around the door of their hut burst into a loud cackle of laughter even the beautiful hounds in their rough kennel leaped up and bayed wow drawled lazy joe tucker the feller dones him ain't nobody's fool but ye scotty what ejaculated scott it's yourn man sure as zootin laughed hearty jack joe trucker's brother mine jehoshaphat blaze that air track will ya i'm lost sure well bartlett's gone out of keensville so it's kinder this left me to ya remember that our chap has shot itself in the leg down to your shanty this summer well i expect i do seeing as i ain't no more than a hundred year old sarcastically answered scott he's cleared out south away somewheres and his ma conciated that she is dreadful obliged to ya and i'm blessed if i didn't send an old dutch feller up here to fur fetch you in that house for a present he couldn't no day see you all personally he said for the mistrust that was snows here sometimes about this season ho 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 good land said scott sitting down on a log and putting his hands in his pockets the image of perplexity while the men about him roared with fresh laughter what be i gonna do with this critter he asked of the crowd blessed if i know answered hardy jack can't ye sell him out of sable falls or keensville or sell him for what he'll fetch suggested joe trucker i can't go now nowways sary's woodpiles night gin out and there was a mighty big sun dog yesterday and moreover i smell snow there'll be something to get home as tis maybe bartlett'll keep him a spell no we won't you can bet your head his fodder's a-running short for the horde critters he bought some up to martin's that's coming down direct but tain't enough he's put taut for more shouldn't wonder if he had to draw from north alby when sledding sets in well i don't know but it's for one thing to do fetch him home somehow or another and there's my boat over there to carry you better tie the critter on behind and let him wade down the racket another shout of laughter greeted this proposal i still take the boat for you quietly said a little brown canadian jean pochon i ain't go to dupper tomorrow i have one hunt to make i can take her well said jean i owe you a turn but for all how i be going to get the animal along the trail i don't know answered joe tucker i expect if it's gonna be dead you'd fetch it somehow 
but I'm mighty glad ain't my job. Scott Peck thought Joe had good reason for joy in that direction before he had gone a mile on his homeward way. The trail was only a trail, rough, devious, crossed with roots of trees, brushed with boughs of fir and pine, and the horse was restive and unruly. By nightfall he had gone only a few miles, and when he had tied the beast to a tree and covered him with a blanket, brought from Bartlett's for the purpose, and strapped on his own back all the way, the light of the campfire startled the horse so that Scott was forced to blind him with a comforter before he could stand still. Then, in the middle of the night, a great owl hooting from the treetop just above him was a fresh scare, and but that the strap and rope were both new and strong, he would have escaped. Scott listened to his rearing, trampling, snorts, and wild neigh with the composure of a sleepy man. But when he awoke at daylight and found four inches of snow had fallen during the night, he swore. This was too much. Even to his practiced woodcraft, it seemed impossible to get the horse safe to his clearing without harm. It was only by dint of the utmost care and patience, the greatest watchfulness of the way, that he got along at all. Every rod or two he stumbled, and all but fell himself. Here and there a loaded hemlock bow, weighed out of its unbrightness by the wet snow, snapped in his face and blinded him with its damp burden, and he knew long before nightfall that another night in the woods was inevitable. He could feed the horse on young twigs of beech and birch, fresh moss and new-peeled bark, fodder that animal would have resented with some scorn under any other conditions. But hunger has no law concerning food. Scott himself was famished, but his pipe and tobacco were a refuge whose value he knew before, and his charge was tired enough to be quiet this second night, so the man had an undisturbed sleep by his comfortable fire. It was a full moon on the next day when he reached his cabin. Jean Pochon had tied his boat to its stake and gone on without stopping to speak to Sarah, so her surprise was wonderful when she saw Scott emerge from the forest, leading a gray creature, with drooping head and shambling gait, tired and dispirited. "'Heavens to Betsy, Scott Peck! Where have you got there?' "'The devil!' growled Scott. Sarah screamed. "'Do hold your jaw, gal, and me get something hot and eat and drink. I'm a savager and Indian. Come, get along.' And, tying his horse to a stump, the hungry man followed Sarah into the house and helped himself out of a keg in the corner to a long, reviving draught. "'Do tell!' said Sarah, when the pork began to frizzle in the pan. "'What upon earth did you buy a hoss for?' She had discovered it was a horse. "'Buy it? I guess not. I ain't no such blame fool as that comes to. That feller you nussed up here a spell back, he up and sent it round to Bartlett's for a present to me.' "'Well, did he think you was the going to set up a canal along a racket? I expect he calculated I'd go racin.' dryly answered scott but what be you uh, going to feed him with said sarah laying venison steaks into the pan lord knows i don't shut up sary i'll tuck it out with the beast i'd rather still hunt three weeks on end than fetch him from sarnick now i tell you ain't them did enough could eat a raw bear sary laughed and asked no more questions till the ravenous man had satiated himself with the savory food but if she had asked him scott would have had no answer for his mind was perplexed to the last degree. He fed the beast for a while on potatoes, but that was taking the bread out of his own mouth, though he supplemented it now and then with a boatload of coarse, frost-crilled grass. But this horse grew more and more gaunt and restive. 
His eyes glared with hunger and fury. He kicked out one side of the cowshed and snapped and Scott whenever he came near him. Want of use and food had restored him to the original savagery of his race. Hitherto Scott had never acknowledged Mrs. McAllister's gift, but Sari, who had a vague idea of good manners, caught from the picture papers and occasional dime novels the tribe of the Adirondack travelers strewn even in such a wilderness kept pecking at him. "'Tain't no more civil to say thank ye to the least,' she said, till Scott's temper gave way. "'Stop a pesterin' of me! I've had too much! I ain't a speck thankful! I mightily to the other thing, whatever tis. Write to her yourself, if you're a mind to. You can make a better fist of it, anyways. Comes natural to women as a light us to run. I'd be eternally blessed if you touch a paper for to do it. And he flung out of the door with a bang. Of course, Sari wrote the letter, which one balmy day electrified Harry and his mother as they sat basking in the southern sunshine. Mrs. McAllister. This is fur to say we is real obliged to ye fur the hoss. Good gracious, mother! Did you send them a horse? ejaculated Harry. Why, my dear, I wanted to show my sense of their kindness, and I could not offer these people money. I thought a horse would be so useful. Useful? In the Adirondack woods? And Harry burst into a fit of laughter that scarcely permitted his mother to go on. But at last she proceeded. Scotty and me ain't acquainted, so to speak, with hossways. He seems kind of homesick, if you may say that of a creature. We are eternally gratified to you for such a valuable present. But if you was willing, we should like to swap it in of in spring for a cow, aren't being some in years. Yours to command, Sari Peck. But long before Mrs. McAllister's permission to swap the horse reached Scott Peck, the creature took his destiny into his own hands. Scott had gone away on a desperate errand to fetch some sort of food for the poor creature, whose bones stared him in the face, and Sari went out one morning to give him her potato peelings and some scraps of bread, when, suddenly, he jerked his head fiercely, snapped his halter in two, and wheeled round upon the frightening woman, rearing, snorting, and showing his long, yellow teeth. Sari fled at once and barred the door behind her, but neither she nor Scott ever saw their gift horse again. For aught I know, he still roams the Adirondack forest, and maybe personates the ghostly and ghastly white deer of song and legend. Who can tell? But he was lifted off of Scott Peck's shoulders, and all Scott said by way of epitaph on the departed, when he came home to find his white steed gone, was, HANG PRESENTS! Samantha Allen will now have a brief opportunity for remark. Admire her graphic description of the excitement Josiah caused by voting at a meeting of the Jonesville Creation Searchers for his own spouse as a delegate from Jonesville to the Sentinel. She reports thus. It was a fearful time, but right where the excitement was reigning most fearfully, I felt a motion by the side of me, and my companion got up and stood on his feet and says, in pretty firm accents, though some sheepish, I did, and there's where I stand now. I vote for Samantha. And then he sat down again. Oh, the fearful excitement and confusion that rained down again. The president got up and tried to speak. The editor of the auger talked wildly. Shakespeare Bobbitt talked to himself incoherently. 
but solomon cipher's voice drowned em all out as he kept a smitin his breast and a hollerin that he wasn't goin to be infringed upon or come in contact with no woman no female woman needn't think she was the equal of man and i shouldn't go as a woman or stay to home i was so almost wore out by their talk that i spoke right out and says i good land how you s'pose i was goin the president then said that he meant if i went i mustn't look upon things with the eye of a creation searcher and a man here he pinned his forefinger right up in the air and waved it around in a real free and soaring way but he looked at things with the eye of a private investigator and a woman here he pinned his finger firm and steady right down into the wood box and a pan of ashes a war impressive very miss slimmons surprised a terrible accident by meta victoria victor dora 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 wake up wake up i say don't you smell something burning wake up child don't you smell fire good lord so do i i thought i wasn't mistaken the room's full of smoke oh dear what should we do don't stop to put on your petticoat well i'll be burned to death fire 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 yes there it is i don't know where it's all over our room's all in a blaze and dora won't come out till she gets her dress on mr little you shan't go in i'll hold you you'll be killed just to save that shit of a girl when i i he's gone rushed right into the flames oh my house my furniture all my earnings can't anything be done fire 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 call the fire engines ring the dinner bell be quiet how can i be quiet yes it's all in flames i saw them myself where's my silver spoons oh where's my teeth and my silver soup ladle let me be i'm going out into the street before it's too late oh mr grayson have you got water have you found the place are they bringing water did you say the fire was out was that you that smoked mr little i thought you were burned up sure and there's dora too how did they get it out my clothes closet was on fire and the room too we would have been smothered in five minutes more if we hadn't waked up but it's all out now no damage done but my dress is destroyed and the carpet soiled thank the lord if that's the worst but it ain't the worst dora come along this minute to my room i don't care if it's cold and wet and full of smoke don't you see don't you see i'm in my night clothes i never thought of it before i'm ruined ruined completely go to bed gentlemen get out of the way as quick as you can dora shut the door hand me that candle i want to look at myself in the glass <gasps> to think that all those gentlemen should have seen me in this fix i'd rather have perished in the flames it's the very first night i've worn these flannel nightcaps and to be seen in em good gracious how old i do look not a spear of hair on my head scarcely and this red nightgown and old petticoat on and with my teeth in the tumbler oh and all the paint washed off my face and scarred beside it's no use i never never can make any of those men believe that i'm only twenty-five and i felt so sure of some of them oh dora adams you needn't look pale you've lost nothing i'll warrant mr little thought you never looked so pretty as you did in that ruffled gown and your hair all down over your shoulders he says you were fainting from the smoke when he dragged you out you must be a little fool to be afraid to come out looking that way they say that new boarder is a drawing-master and i seen some of his pictures yesterday 
he had some such ridiculous things he'll character me for the amusement of the young men i know it only think how my portrait would look to be taken to-night and he'll have it i'm sure for i noticed him looking at me the first that reminded me of my situation after the fire was put out well there's but one thing to be done and that's to put a bold face on it i can't sleep any more to-night besides the bed's wet and it's beginning to get daylight i'll go to work and get myself ready for breakfast and i'll pretend to something i i don't know just what to get myself out of the scrape if i can good morning gentlemen good morning we had quite a fright last night didn't we dora and i came pretty near paying dear for that little frolic you see uh we were dressing up in character to amuse ourselves and i was all fixed up to represent an old woman and had to put on a, a gray wig with an old flannel gown that i found and we'd set up pretty late having some fun all to ourselves and i expect dora must have been pretty sleepy when she was putting some of the things away and set fire to a dress in the closet without noticing it i've lost my whole wardrobe nigh about by her carelessness but it's such a mercy we weren't burned in our bed and i don't feel to complain so much on that account isn't it curious how i got caught dressed up like my grandmother we didn't suppose we were going to appear before so large an audience before we were planned out to our little frolic what character did dora assume really mr little i was so scared last night that i disremember she took off her rigging before she went to bed don't you think i'd personify a pretty good old woman gentleman <laughs> for a lady of my age what, what's that mr little you wish i'd make you a present of that nightcap to remember me by oh of course i've no further use of it of course i haven't it's one of bridget's that i borrowed for the occasion and i've got to give it back to her have some coffee mr grayson do i've got cream for it this morning mr smith help yourself to some of this beefsteak it's a very cold morning fine weather out of doors eat all you can all of you have you any profiles to take yet mr gamboge i may make up my mind to set for mine before you leave us i have always thought i should have it to take some time in character ha <laughs> ha mr little you're so funny but you'll excuse me this morning as i had such a fright last night i must go and take up that wet carpet end of section four